0: welcome back guys uh, I'm gonna jump into it I've got I've got a running list of topics to talk about I've been taking some notes on my on my phone um, trying to get better at trying to when I think of something make a note on it in general not just for podcasts, but um, article topics and all sorts of stuff so I've got quite a accumulation going right now I don't remember the last time we recorded one of these uh, it's a week at least. And it's been, felt like months. Um, we are coming off of, we had, I always call it kind of workshop week. We did a workshop last weekend, handlers workshop, and they are, I really enjoy them. Uh, we do a couple of them a year, did one last weekend. That was a foundation workshop. We've got another one scheduled in two weeks, not this coming weekend. This is a holiday weekend coming up. And then we've got a, a, a second workshop for, for foundation the following week, first weekend in June, and I, I really like. We're going to do a, uh, we'll do a podcast specifically to talk about that workshop, this last one that we just did. We did a Next Steps workshop. Do we do a podcast after the Next Steps workshop yeah, about it? But I we... don't think it was about okay, it. but I, I know in the past we've done some because every every workshop we do, I I I take away multiple things. I, I'm not going to say I take away a new th- one new thing, but at minimum, I take away a few new things. And I don't think that'll ever stop. Um, I think part of the reason that it happens is, is because we have a whole new group of people. Uh, we had 16 people, 15 people um, that came. I, I had 16 on my list and I realized that one of the people had backed out. So um, that was okay. There was no problem. We ended up uh, with... with a smaller group at times. Um, we changed the way our workshop went. And I'm not going to get into the workshop too deep, but um, I took a lot away from it. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that those who attended took a lot away from it as well. I think um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a podcast on its own. There's also some things that have happened recently here that 100% are going to be Worthy of a podcast. When I say worthy, I mean they're just deep enough. they're they' there's enough there to them that I want to make sure that I dedicate some time to it. Um, some of those things are tough. Going to be tough ones to do for me personally. Um, and and it's a combination of I'm waiting on a few more, I'm waiting on 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 a few things um, before I discuss one of them. Um, and and it's gonna. I, I I need some clarity. I need a little bit of time uh as well. And so that's 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 another one on my list to do. Um jumping into this, going right into this one. This one is an Instagram uh message comes from Sweden actually. So pretty cool. Uh a lot of a lot of international following. I would say more from Instagram. Instagram seems to be a heavier one. Um and I really enjoy that. Sometimes there's a little bit of a struggle because there are some cultural differences. Um, some of its language, some of it's just the way, way people do things differently in different areas. Um, but I think what's real interesting is, and we talked about this a little bit at the last workshop was regardless, we had some real, we had, we had a variety of breeds, um, there, we were going to have a variety of breeds coming up, um, which is cool too. It's, it's a, that's part, another reason why I like them, new people, new dogs. Um, but the, the one thing that always shines through and I just time and time and time again, it proves itself um, is that a dog is a dog and a person's a person. And I don't think it's it's necessarily that dramatically different. And that means if you're in Sweden or the US or Northern Ireland or uh, you name it. I mean, we've there Australia. We see a lot of, of following from Australia, and New Zealand. I think New Zealand's by Australia, right? So we do. We get different messages from different people, um, with some regularity. Now, this this message came from someone that this is the first message I've ever gotten from them. So I'm going to get right into it and and start talking about it. Um, he said himself, um, "This might be a topic for your podcast now." I didn't look at it that closely. Yeah, Andreas. So he said, this might be a topic for your podcast, although it's a Spaniel topic, which, again, I don't know that it matters. Um, He says, hi from Sweden. Just got to say I love your podcast. You have a very structured way of delivering your message, and the analogies to to children make sense. I have a one-year-old cocker who as soon as I let him run free, goes hunting. Sometimes he catches scent, he can run off, be out of sight for one to two minutes. He also, on two occasions, flushed hairs and ran after them until they've got away. Since he was two months old, we, me and my wife, have been rewarding recall with treats and or petting. Obviously, this has not worked. We do We had no problem recalling him before his hunting instincts awakened. Keeping this in mind, it's obvious that the flushing has worsened the recall. We sometimes shout at him in growly voices when he's beginning to run off, but that hasn't had any effect either. Also, when he's hot, quote unquote, he doesn't listen to us. When we're firm, even if he's on a leash, what to do? So, I first off I think there's a couple things here. Um so and I I'm pretty 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 easy to understand um Andreas's message. So I don't think it's a I don't think there's a language thing here. Um probably words things a little bit differently than I do. Um I read it more how I perceive it. So I didn't read it necessarily word for word but very very close. Um I don't think there's any confusion there. Um I I'm just going to pick it apart and go through it here. So he mentions the analogies that I make with children. Uh, I, and, and that is that I oftentimes refer to the dog part co- comparable or similar or very similar to. Um, there's a lot of parallels with raising kids. And I mean that. And and this is another topic um, that comes up, that has come up. I've messaged in that. It was Instagram as well. Um, there was some messaging that I went back and forth with the individual on regarding um, humanizing animals and dogs. And so I, I um, typically say you shouldn't do it. I think that, you know, there's a difference. We, we like to Walt Disney affect dogs. Um, I think that's different than what this exchange back and forth through messaging with me and I believe it was a him. Um, different. And we're going to talk that, that again, that's a dedicated podcast coming up, but the idea of analogies to raising kids, I think is not necessarily so specific and, and exact as it is the idea of, I think it's real important for kids to understand right and wrong. Um, that's just like a moral thing. I don't know that I and so when I talk about humanizing dogs, I think, you know, some of the emotions in in that part of it are different compared to what like the Disney effect or cartoons paint them to be. Like I just don't think I don't think that, that when you watch a cartoon that's all animals, the way they think and process is very human like and I don't I don't think that's realistic in most canary most scenarios and cases. I do, however, think that there are a lot of similarities when it comes to the idea of how animals and dogs specifically process some of the emotion stuff. I do think they've really fallen in love with us. I think we really fall in love with them. That was what came up, that, that word in particular is what came up with the messaging that I went back and forth with this guy on. So we're going to talk about that later. But the idea that using analogies to children... I think more specifically, it's like understanding that when we raise kids, there are some certain things that I think work really well for me personally, that I take a similar approach to when it comes to a dog. Structure is one of them. So, you know, yes, kids are different than dogs, but no, I don't think they're that different with the idea of a dog thrives on structure. I think kids have a tendency to as well. I think it's hard on kids when there's um, no consistency. I also, you know, that's a word that we use all the time with dogs. So I think it's hard on dogs if you lack consistency. I think dogs learn primarily by the use of consistency and repetition to form desirable behaviors. And maybe equally as important to avoid undesirable behaviors. S- still needing consistency and repetition. So... I do really think that that's an important thing to start. I I think it's an important way to look at it and think about it when it comes to raising a pup. And I've made a point over the years to use the word raising as opposed to training more often than not, because I just think that it's got an effect to it. That word, the, the language that we use has power and impact depending on words chosen. And uh, not to go off on another direction, but like I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing more these days, um, starting to do some more. A lot of it's, um, connected to gundog magazine and I'm really enjoying it. I'm writing a, I'm writing a, I write an article or a column for them, and have for a little while now, but I'm also doing my first, it's a story. It's a, it's a, we're capturing or retelling the story of Bella uh, a dog that we recently trained, and we're talking about her first hunt. Well, it's not just about her first hunt specifically. It's not like a, um, it's just a different type of writing. I'm not a very good writer. I'll be the first person to admit it. It doesn't come to me very natural. Um, now I talk with my wife about it because I my wife proofreads a lot of all my stuff before I send it in because I need that. I'm not, that's not a strength of mine. Um, when I, and so this is a different type of article or story that I'm writing. And it's challenging to me. Writing, I really enjoy the challenge of it. I don't really enjoy writing. Um, In fact, it's a real pain in my neck. Um, These guys hear me talk about it. Oh, God, I got an article due. I I got an article due. I got Instead of like me just sitting down and doing it, I, I really procrastinate. That's the student in me or the lack of student in me. Like, I'm not very good. I wasn't very good in school. Um, I was pretty, I was pretty good at stuff I liked in school. I was not good at things I didn't like and writing wouldn't be something that I would have liked. I like it now because of the subject and I like it because of the impact that I think it can have. It's different than a video. It's different than, um, a podcast. It's just a different form. And I, I also think it makes me think more. So I'm, I'm doing it for a lot of personal reasons of, of, I would say maybe trying to like grow myself, um, but with that, you know, the idea of the article, one of the articles that I'm writing right now is that that Cali series. One of them is the story on Bella. I think getting trying to connect it back to the idea of analogies with kids, which I don't even know where the tangent went off on that one, but we we. We I really believe that there is a way for us to use the idea of raising a kid and uh, I was talking about the power of words. So like raising a dog versus training a dog. If you said you were training your kids, it would sound it would seem weird and, and un unnormal to us because you don't train kids, but you kinda do. The word though itself means so much a different meaning. It has a different perception when you say it. So, so I appreciate him recognizing that. Now let's get into his question of, I have a one-year-old cocker. As soon as I let him run free, he goes hunting. And sometimes when he catches scent, he'll run off and be out of sight for one to two minutes. And one to two minutes doesn't seem like a lot when I read it, but I know what one to two minutes feels like in the field. Uh, It feels like an eternity. You know, it's, it's, and it's scary and your dog's out of sight and they're clearly, you know, I, we laughed about it this weekend at the workshop. One of the dogs that did a demonstration, I think ran a lap around our pond, um, which isn't a huge pond, but it would take me, a, it would take me a while to run all the way around. It. I mean, I'm talking 30 seconds for sure, at least. Uh, and the joke was, I think it took less than three seconds for the dog to leave the side, go all the way around the pond and come back like it really they they in one to two minutes a dog can really cover an awful lot of ground so I understand that, that you know you get them out of sight for that one to two minutes it can be it is too much um and it can be a really big distance so he says he's also on two occasions flushed hares so jumped to jumped a rabbit and will run on run after them until they've gotten away and that sometimes can be a while depends on the cover depends on the um, where you're at, if you're in a big open field, I I had a dog once that jumped a jackrabbit in South Dakota. And if you've ever seen a jackrabbit, they're, they're about the size of my dog. I mean, they're, they're pretty big. And if you've ever been in South Dakota, you know, you can see for miles before you're going to find, you know, literally see for miles before you're going to get into any type of cover. So depending on the, on the topography in the fields, it's, so we kicked a, we kicked a jackrabbit out of a little CRP, um, I don't know, it was a little slough, I guess I would call it, but just a small little pothole. Great spot where you're probably gonna find some pheasants. And we kicked a jackrabbit out, and that jackrabbit ran across the field. This is years ago. We were hunting over. I remember it was my parents' golden retriever. And her name was Paige, and Paige came out of that, was on the on the rabbit, came out of that slough and chased the rabbit. And the rabbit ran across a chiseled field. And I could I mean you could see it from you can see for a long ways, miles, I would say. And Paige, relatively untrained, real natural hunting dog, nice little hunting dog, but relatively untrained as far as formality, um, gave chase. And she ran and ran and ran. And And you weren't stopping her. I didn't even carry a whistle at the time. You weren't stopping her. And she literally could see the rabbit for so far, she just kept chasing it. And that, it took her a long time before she accepted defeat. And decided to come back. So the idea of, you know, running a rabbit. Yeah, I've been there, man. I know what can happen there. And in that scenario, so the next one that we did, we actually, it took us a long, I mean, I bet you we waited 15 to 20 minutes before we were hunting again. And the energy that it took out of the dog was like, it was kind of warm out too. And um, the energy it took out of her was, you know, definitely not worth it. And it took away from the hunting experience. So especially we were by ourselves, but it was if you're with a group, you know, that kind of thing. So the next one that came out, we shot for the simple fact that I don't want to see her do it again. So we kicked another one out and we we, we made a point. My dad and I both said, we're going to shoot them so that she doesn't run, them, run and run and run and run. And we have to wait for this whole thing again. So I've been there and I know what that's like. Um, you said here, since... He, He was two months old. My wife and I have been rewarding recall with treats or petting, but obviously this hasn't worked. I don't think that, no, you're right. It probably hasn't worked, which goes, you know, this is a bigger can of worms when it comes to treat training. I'm not against treat training. Um, I don't use it much. Recall would be one thing that I might use it with early on with a little puppy. I might use it for sit with a little puppy too. I phase it out pretty quickly. And the reason I do that is because I think it's a trick I think it's like a trick for the dog and then you pay him with the food. And I think I have seen where you stop paying them and the trick fades away. Um, that's bribery in my opinion. I don't like that. So I want to, I think that training should be shaped. It's a behavior that gets shaped and the use of treats and and, and kibble and whatever can help you with that. I just look at it as from a, From a timeliness standpoint, from a time frame standpoint, I think treats and that can speed things up greatly. I think it can get things done a lot quicker. The problem is I think they get done oftentimes incomplete and then it shows up later and then it takes longer in the big picture to actually get solid, get it to be true. And so... I think the same can be said about collars. That's why I don't use collars. Like I think I think people use collars a lot because it speeds up their training. And I and and depending on and we am not going to get into that that those weeds either, but like I think it's very temporary. I just don't think it's long term. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's complete. I think it's incomplete. So, I think that you saw that, you're seeing that um based on what you've said. Now, I I'm not against the idea of little kibble to reward that stuff early on, especially to get a food motivated dog to come to you. But I just think you got to phase it out and have behavior, good behavior, which is good decision-making, which comes back to the idea of raising, not training. I think that's the, that's the key to this. Um, now the, th- the thing is, is the dog's a year old right now. So you're going to have to approach it differently than you do when it was two months old. Cause when it was two months old, probably could catch it. I mean, we're talking two months old is eight weeks old. We're talking the puppy just came to you. So you can catch them. You can usually catch them up to about 12 weeks, I think, for the most part. I don't want to turn it into having to catch them. I think those first few weeks are very important to start to shape the behavior to be the way we want because that's a real moldable thing. As they get older and these habits start to form, it makes it more challenging, which I usually just say, just figure it'll take a little bit longer to to correct. And when I say correct, I mean like right, put it in the right direction. So uh, we had no problem recalling him before his hunting instincts awakened. I think it probably, it might not be necessarily that the hunting instincts were awoken. I think it might be that the dog got big enough, fast enough, bold enough, and confident enough to start showing you some behaviors that you just don't, don't really like. Um, so, but either way they're here. So now you have to deal with it. Um, keeping this in mind, it got worse as the flushing after that flushing, which once the dog gets rewarded, cause I think the dog probably looked at that as a reward, kicked up some rabbits and got to have a fun chase. Um, so that to me, you know, you're know, you right, it probably gets worse because it's a slippery slope. I'm actually in the process of trying to like do what your dog did with Callie. Callie is a dog that we're training, and we have the opposite problem of what you had. Our dog stuck to us too close. We're trying to get her to loosen up and reel out. It's, it's, it's a different problem. It's on the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's still a problem. And it's still requiring me to figure out how to do it. Instead of tightening up, I I need to loosen her up. Instead of being loose with yours, you need to tighten it up. So then you say, we sometimes shout at him with growly voices when he's beginning to run off, but that hasn't had any effect. Also, when he's hot, and I don't know if when you say hot, you mean like temperature-wise or excited. Either way, I think it's hot is, if it's temperature, it's just focus the ability to focus, I think you can respond to that differently than if it's excited. And so we'll talk about both of those. Um, it doesn't listen to listen to you even when you're firm and even when he's on a leash. Now there's one answer is take away the ability for the dog to have the failure. And so I don't like using long leads. I don't like using check cords. I think they're crutches. And I think a lot of times we use them as a crutch. And, and if you can't ever get off the crutch, I would have preferred that you figured out how to walk without it in the first place. So a long check cord, and I have a friend that I just trained with, um, just trained with him last week. And he's got a dog right now that's, I think he's about a year. And he was an imported dog at six months. And he's really, he's having some issues with the dog. He's having some struggles with it. And so he does not let it out And it was running off. And so he doesn't let it go out and work without the lead. He doesn't hold on to the lead. He lets the dog drag the lead all over. So he uses basically a 30-foot check cord, same cord that we use for uh, tracking leash as a tracking lead. Um, It's a material that, that works pretty good for that, but it's something that he's working to try to get off of because he doesn't want to have to have that dog on that, and I wouldn't either, but he uses it as a backup plan because the dog has run off several times, and he's trying to avoid that habit strengthening and and reforming itself regularly which all it does is shape the behavior so let's go back i I think you can't roll back the clock but for someone who's listening to this that has one that's a little bit younger this is your opportunity to do for that person to maybe avoid some of the stuff that you're seeing Um, it's also a way for andreas to recognize maybe why he is where he is and he's probably not his last dog and you know you're going to be able to maybe prepare for it better next time it also is probably going to end up resulting in a conversation going full circle back to the idea of we're going to treat a one-year-old dog more like a puppy because how do you fix something regard you know that's a that's a common question that I get is, well, how do I, where do I start or how do I fix this? And I usually say, regardless of the age of the dog, you start in the beginning. And the beginning is, is sometimes different for different people, but in the big picture of it, the beginning is the beginning. It's where everything starts. And that, that can be easily, um, drawn back to one of a few things in its foundation. And then the foundation is, heal, sit, stay, come when I call you. Well, we're talking about come when I call you. Control part of it. So I think one of the things I would do is work on not necessarily addressing the symptom where you're seeing it. Like you're seeing it in an area that sounds like it's got a little bit of, a lot of bit of freedom. Um, so I think I wouldn't work on trying to correct it there. And I'm not saying... Don't go to those places anymore, but don't go to those places with the ability for them, for the dog to free run. Now you're going to say, but he's a year old and I like to exercise him. And, you know, every time I give, I, I can see it in people's faces when I tell them a fix or a thing to start working on. I can totally tell there are people that were at the workshop that I think shouldn't take their dogs off the leash for the next couple months. And they're older dogs. They're a year plus. And when you tell someone that, you got to keep them on a lead. They go, you can just see the disappointment in them. They're frustrated with it. That's not how they want to raise their dogs. They want their dog, they want their dogs to be able to do what you do with your dogs. I want them to be off lead. And I want them to be able to heal with me. And I want them to be able to call them when they come to, and have them come to me and all that stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I totally I get it. But you don't. And the reason you don't is because of what you've done to this point. And that's okay. Just accept it. Deal with it. So Something that I tell you to do to fix it doesn't mean forever. It means until you start to see behavioral change. So if you're going to go out and, and let the dog free run, and they runs off, catches scent, runs off, jumps a rabbit, runs off, you lose control, you can't get him back when you get a growly voice and you start hollering at him. Don't go back to those places and expect a change to have happened magically. It won't what you need to do if you have to go back into those places is go back into those places and work on heal. If heal isn't good, don't go to those places and work on heal. go somewhere else that you don't have those distractions and get healed to be good. Like just cause he's a year old, doesn't mean you plug him into this phase of a dog if he doesn't have the skills to be in that phase, treat him like the puppy. Because you wouldn't put a puppy in a situation like that because you would expect the dog to fail and go, well, he's too young for this. That's what you should be thinking. Well, he's too young for this. He's too young for this. He's too young for for the idea of the freedom of running. It's not because of his age. It's because of his maturity level and his level of understanding when it comes to behavior. So if you want to take them into those areas where you're going to run into that risk, put them on a lead and heal them. If you can't do that, well, don't go there at all for a while. And when I say don't go there, you're going to go, oh, but I want to. Yeah, I know you want to. But I want to do a hell of a lot of things too that I cannot do until I have all the things in place to do them. I want to go hunting in the fall. It's September. I want to go hunting. It's October and birds are migrating. I want to go duck hunting. But my dog's not ready and they're three years old. Does that mean we should go duck hunting because they're three years old? and the birds are migrating? Or does that mean we should work on getting them prepared so that next October they're ready? That's the answer, regardless of their age. And if you say, yeah, but I'm going to give up that first season or that seasons of of hunting, yeah, and it's going to be miserable, and it's going to be miserable for the next 10 years on top of it. So you could give up what you've already given up and maybe give up this one season extra. And then if you commit to doing the work, you get seven years of good hunting out of them instead of 10 years of miserable. So when I say these changes, it doesn't mean forever. It means until you can handle it. And that might mean a month. It might mean six months. It might mean 12. I don't know how long it's going to be. But what you have to do is you have to recognize the sacrifice that you're going to make and the sacrifice that you're going to make so that the dog eventually can go into those situations and have success. And so what do you do? So you don't put them into the position to fail. And what do you do is you take away the opportunities for failure and you simplify your setups and you work on the skill until the skill gets really good. And when I say really good, I don't mean like pretty good. You know, most of the time, I mean all the time, like great. There's a huge difference between pretty good and great. Pretty good allows erosion down the road and things to slip. Great means time to take the next step and work on adding another link to the chain. So, get into an area and you can you I don't think this means go back go into your yard where things go really well you know every we all have that we all have that spot that they do it so well and we love showing it off and we want to show everybody that they can do it and they do it really well there and then we move to the new spot and try to replicate it and they, we we have the 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 line to fall back on is he never he never does it like this at home he always does it right there it's it's for a reason It goes back to when we were talking about in the beginning of this, repetition and consistency. Dogs memorize routines. That's part of training. It's good. It's it's allowing something to click and stick and register in the dog's head and translate from their brain to their feet. It's also not good if you don't move that anywhere else because they become so associated with the location that they memorize it due to the environment. That's a, part, that's a real influential part of it. And so as soon as you change the environment, which can look different, can smell different, can feel different, can be distractions that get in the way uh, that aren't normally there. There's all sorts of variables. It might be, it, sometimes it's as simple. You changed your outfit. Like, I was really surprised. I have a Lillian as our daughter. She's two years old. And I haven't worn a hat in a long time. I used to wear it quite often. I haven't worn it in a long time. I've been wearing a different hat. And she came home from school. You know, She's two years old. She's a little kid. And she saw me. Literally, she got out of the truck. She looked at me and she goes, dad, new hat. And I went, yes, yes, it is. She picked that up so quickly. Now, you change something with you. You know, I've, uh, I listened to a guy that did a podcast. Um, He was on a podcast and he was actually, Tony Peterson, he's a friend of ours and we've done his podcast quite a bit, Sporting Dog Talk, it's called. Um, We've been on that several times. I listened to it and I listened to some of his other ones and there was a guest that he had on that was talking about training during COVID. And he said that he put a mask on because the client, that was there. Wanted him to wear a mask, so he wore a mask, and the dog wouldn't respond. Dog froze. Uh, he doesn't train with a mask on, and so you all it did all it did was cover up the, do- the the handler's face, and the dog locked up, wouldn't wouldn't handle. So, you change things like that. It can create it can create some big issues. So what I want to do is I want you Andreas to figure out how to simplify this, it might mean in the hallway. Like it could be, you you got a one-year-old cocker, set your pride aside and be like, hey, I'm gonna treat it like the eight-week-old puppy. I don't care, no one's watching, close the doors, in the hallway, stand on one end, and have a session in that hallway until it's so perfectly, every time you call, the pup comes to you. And when the pup comes to you, hell, I don't even care if you go back to giving it a little bit of kibble if that's what he likes. But do that for a day or two just to get the dog to respond with the idea of, well, come to him. He'll give me my kibble. I phase it out really quickly and I replace it with praise. One of the things this weekend that I noticed with some people was a lot of times it's it's too fast. We work too fast. And you've got a, a little cocker, and I've seen cockers. They're not slow. They move pretty. They move pretty quickly. They're pretty agile. They're real nimble. They're little... Little pocket rockets. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of energy there. I don't know that I've ever seen one that I would say moves too slow. Now the Labrador is not necessarily the slowest dog either in most cases. And a lot of times we as trainers, and I see it a lot, create dogs that are fast moving, super fast, have a hard time focusing. They just move too fast. We had several of them this weekend, but I also had two, two of them that I worked with. They were, they were attendees, dogs, there was two different ones that I worked with that the best results came when the handler picked up the pace. These people that were here had been following us almost, I, they all were, they all had followed us on social media or found us on social media one way or another. And so I, what I think is great is they were, very, they were really cool. And part of it was their personality. They were just calmer, calmer, more relaxed, slower, slower paced. Um, so, so part of it was that. The other part was I think they made a point of recognizing how many times I say to slow down. So they slow down, they slow down, they slow down. And the combination between their personality being that way and their willingness to like magnify it because they think there's value in it, which I think there is, their dogs responded almost so lethargically that I didn't think we were getting as much change as we should have like I just didn't I just didn't think we were getting the response and this comes it comes back to being able to read the dog's body language and so a couple of them I took the took the lead and I worked with them and I instead of slowing down I did the opposite I picked it up I, I got a little bit of pep in their step I got a little bit of bounce um, and it was amazing to see how much more responsive they were when we did that And it, it got, it, it really was effective. And very, unless I had seen that, I would not commonly tell people speed things up in training, like speed your pace up, speed your tempo up. But we needed to there. And so it was a real positive thing. I think you may have a puppy or a year old dog in the hallway that you may have to speed it up depending on how it responds. You may have to slow it down depending on how it responds. I don't know because I won't be there to see it, but I think you got to think it both ways and be prepared. I talked a lot about this weekend um, and this is why I love workshops because it gets me thinking again uh, differently because it brings me back to fundamentals. When I get away from workshops, I start drifting off into my own little space with the dogs that I'm working with and I don't always have those reminders, those constant reminders of the importance of fundamentals. Partially because my dogs usually have pretty good foundations, which is really positive. I don't hardly ever run into problems with my dogs because of lack of foundation. Like that's usually not, not the case. It can happen occasionally, but I've gotten really good at not going to not going too fast from that perspective. I have not gotten very good at not being aggressive with some of my setups. I bite off more than my dogs can chew. I test them a little bit more than I probably should. I need to get better at that. Simplify and break it down into more steps. But that's an issue. I, I fully admit to it. And you'll see it if you watch our series. Because I, I do it and I show it, not intentionally, but it, it shows itself. So in this case... Slowing down or speeding up may be the answer dependent on the dog's behavior and you'll have to make that call and sometimes you'll have to try things because I'm going to tell you a few things to try but I always I think one of the biggest points we took away this weekend was a better better understanding of the fact that if you have to think about it you're usually too late You need to become so comfortable with stuff that it becomes reflex and it just happens naturally and almost in anticipation of what the dog is going to do. And so Andreas, I wish I had a black and white answer on that part, but I, without seeing it, I won't be able to, but I'm prepping you to think about it ahead of time. And then from the hallway, maybe it's, maybe it's a a real controlled area in your garage. If you have garages, I don't know in Sweden, if they have a lot of garages, Uh, a garage for us would be a spot outside of our house where we park our car or for in our case we store a lot of stuff i don't know that we've i don't remember last time we parked cars inside uh it's just we've got a lot of stuff it's a weakness but you can clean some of that stuff i can clean some of that stuff up and i can use it as a pretty controlled area with the door closed i could go in the basement if i had an open space in the basement you could go to my front porch That's a pretty, that's an, I love front porch, my front porch, because it's got a railing on it that the dogs can see through, but I can block it off so that they can't get out. They can see all the temptation and distraction. They can smell all the temptation and distraction. They can hear it all. They can't get to it. So sometimes you can go get this stuff and you can replicate this stuff um, at a park. You might find a spot that has a really good configuration of fencing, and that helps for training. Sometimes we create our own. This is, just reminds me. I was going to talk with two of the people that were in my retrieving group this weekend about building a corral, building a channel. You and we, I use snow fence. Like I use this plastic, cheap fence that rolls up, and I use these little push stakes, and I push them down on the ground, and I create these runs. And Chris Smith, one of my good friends, that's one of our instructors for the workshop. He built a compound in his backyard with snow fence and he used it to develop some retrieve early on with his dog because the dog had the tendency to want to run off in big open spaces. So he put it in the big open space but he confined it with a snow fence and then eventually he started to open the snow fence up and the dog recognized that it's still here. I still see some fence. I probably could get out if I wanted to but after so long it became such a controlled habit for the dog to go out and come back that he eventually was able to peel back the layers of snow fence and open up into this big space. And next thing you know, the dog is repeating the behavior through consistency and repetition. He's formed a behavior, go out and come back, even though I have more options. And so the, you know, you, with the idea of that, that touches to the point of you've chased a rabbit and the dog knows that. So now we want to make sure we're not doing this where there's rabbits not for a long, long time. And then when we do, I think what I would do is set it up to have some real control. You might have somebody trap a rabbit for you and you might have it confined. So it it can't run off and your dog go. And you might work your dog past it under control and then be able to have the ability to say, no, leave it. Ah, 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 No, leave it. And it responds and comes back to you. And if it doesn't, it runs off and it gets into that rabbit. Well, at least the rabbit can't run away and you rode all the work you've done, and now you got a dog that goes on chase. You go up to the dog, and you say, that's enough. And then you can get growly and control it because you can get a hold of that dog. And that's where I would firm up and make it very transparent, very clear. Black and white, you have made a bad decision. Doesn't mean you beat the dog up. There's a fine line of pressure and praise. You can't put so much pressure on a dog that they over, they bubble over and lose control. You can't put so much pressure on them that you break them. I'm not interested in doing an extreme one way or the other. I think it's somewhere in the middle, but I definitely, and and this is another topic that we'll talk about, is pressure and praise. I am 100% confident in belief, the belief that I think it takes firmness, not being hard. I think it takes praise, not being a briber, not being, not being, uh, uh, we're not going to negotiate with dogs for treats. It's not... There's, those are two extremes and I don't, I don't like extreme one way or the other. So, um, I think it's slow. The the easy answer that is bland and generic is take a deep breath, be patient. You got a one-year-old dog, it's a puppy. So that's good. That's real good because they're very, very shapeable, very formable, um, you, you, don't worry. Don't panic. I think the, the part that needs to happen is the dog's gotten old enough. Now it's still a puppy, but it's gotten old enough now to create some, some, some hurdles that are physical. Probably dogs fast and big and can run away. It's, it's time now to take away some of that freedom because that dog hasn't earned it. My dogs get, my dog's, Slowly earn the right to do things. Um, my, our house, you know, when it comes to place training, my dogs don't aren't allowed to free roam the house, but I also let them earn the right to stay out overnight. So they so they always sleep in their kennels. They sleep in their crates. They lay on their beds. They're told to stay on their beds. So they don't. they, they don't. It's a safety thing. They don't get into trouble that way. My old dogs, I don't tell them to go on place anymore. Rarely. I mean, I will occasionally. But they oftentimes just do it out of habit. They spend the majority of their time on their place anyway, by choice. I don't kennel them up at night because I know what they're going to do at night. They know right from wrong. They know that they shouldn't go wander, poop and pee in the house, chew on stuff. They lay on their bed. They've earned that freedom to be able to stay out. If they start to slip, and create and it creates issues that f- I find them getting into trouble I don't correct them for that trouble because I missed it if I come if I come back and the dog chewed something up you know uh, Callie's a good example of this Callie likes to go and get Lillian's toys she'll go get the toys and bring them on her bed so I leave the house she's on her place I come back an hour later and there's three toys on her bed and a sock that she's likes to chew on so I, Callie has lost the right. Callie, when I leave, you're going in your kennel because you haven't, you're just not there with right or wrong yet. We'll be patient and we'll get there. But my older dogs, for the most part, they've earned it. But you know what? Ellie, Ellie, not too long ago, got, I was smoking fish. I was smoking lake trout and I had them drying or setting up to go into the smoker. And I came back in and there was two less fillets on the, on the pan. And Ellie couldn't even look me in the eye. I knew she did it. She knew she did it. She was ashamed. She got put in a kennel for about a week straight after that. And the next time I smoked fish, I made sure there was no way she was going to get at it. So I didn't correct her at that point when I came back and knew she did it because it wouldn't have made any sense. Missed it. The timing was off. So but I didn't, I changed it going forward and I made, now she's earned the right back. So keep in mind when you hear this and I say, put your dog on a lead when you take him out for a walk, get really, that'll help you really get good at heel work. First off, it will help you because you said here, he's not, not listening even when on the leash. Well then start getting better on the leash. If you can't do it right on the leash, you won't be able to do it off the leash it's a transitional thing. It's a sequential thing. It's an incremental thing. It starts got to be perfect on lead before we can think about getting off lead. Then once we go off lead, that's in heel position yet. That's not out free running. So slowly take steps to get there, which means you reel in the freedom for a time, for a period of time. And you start to get the desired behavior and have it be consistent. And then they slowly earn trust and when you go too far too fast they'll tell you and you need to recognize it and back up and then take your time moving forward if this you you got a one-year-old dog if you can get if you can be consistent with this for the next six months I bet you it's a completely different situation at 18 months the other thing too to keep in mind is at one years old at one year old Physically, they're not very mature. Mentally, they're definitely not very mature. I've, I very rarely see a one-year-old dog with the mental maturity that's capable of doing some of these things that we allow them to or expect them to be able to handle. They're just not there yet, and that's okay. There's a really big difference most times with a dog between one-years-old and two-years-old or two-year-old and three-years-old, like big-time growth mentally. Mental growth Combined with our measurable effort to connect with them and develop trust with them, makes humongous differences. And that all, what all that takes is time. So I hope that helps, Andreas. I'm going to send you send you a message here um, and and let you know that we recorded it. Um, it was a great. I think it's a great question. I think you're going to help more more people than you than than just you. Um, and so I appreciate your, you listening, especially in Sweden. I appreciate everybody listening, regardless, wherever you're from. So thank you for doing that. Do me a favor, if you would, um, please subscribe to it. this podcast. If you're not subscribed to it, if you like it, subscribe to it. You won't Then you get, turn your notifications on, you won't miss. Uh, it'll adjust when we put a new one out, it'll let you know. Um, and if you would, do me a favor. This is a big one I'm going to ask you, and, I, and I'm going to ask it very sincerely. If you are listening to this on an Apple podcast, would you please leave a review? Is there stars and mm-hmm. writing? Could you, do, could you do me that favor? Um, what are the other Androids? You could do Spotify. Spotify, does that have a review? Yeah. If you're on Spotify, would you do me a favor? And Ben, will you do me a favor and show me how to check those? Do I have Spotify? I am probably not. I do. Okay. So if you guys have the ability to do a review... I'd really appreciate it if you'd do it for me. Um, makes a humongous difference because it allows us to be able to help more people because it helps with other people finding our podcast. Um, and and we're not a we're definitely not a big company we're definitely not a real tech savvy company and we're definitely not the kind of company that probably has all the tricks or maybe the wallet or or checkbook to to get the the awareness out there that we that that some do and that's okay. I, I, it's, that's fine. I'm fine with it. But I also think that the more people we help is, is 100% our mission. Like the more people we can connect with and, and give something that's going to add value to their dog, their dog, their relationship with their dog. Well, that's, that's our whole, that's our whole purpose. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it so much. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to be continue to put these out and, Like I said earlier, I've got a whole list of them that I think are going to be um, pretty strong. And that's in addition to um, the messages and the questions and the comments that keep coming in. So thank you guys for your support.